Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by John Crumpton. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Well, this morning what I'd like to do, um, what I'd like and what I end up doing aren't always the same. You've never noticed that before, hey? (laughs) What I'd like to do is I'd like to draw a little bit and pull through from where we were, as we were remembering, we were feasting on the fact of the ascension and what that opened up for us. And as we look back and we saw the significance of what it unfolded for us as believers and that it means that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. So don't worry about them. So ascension is absolutely astounding because of the significance of what it means of where Jesus is now and what he's doing now. Awesome. It's not just what he did then, it's what he's doing now. He's, he's there, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's always interceding for us. Oh my goodness. He's fighting for us, interceding, praying for us, and he's sticking around there as he's watching over what's happening until the time when all his enemies are under under his feet. And the immense brilliance of all of this is that Romans says it's not only under his feet, but it's under our feet. Why? Because we're connected to him. Because if they're under his feet, and he's the head of the body, which is the church, And we are the church. We're connected to the head. If they're under his feet, they're under our feet because we're in him. Awesome stuff. Yay. So we're here to see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. We're not here looking for the escape button. That's the complete opposite of what Jesus said we were to be here to do. I've got to try this lot over here again because that suddenly went kind of, oh, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We've got a job to do even as he's working, we're working with him. To see all of his enemies become his footstool under his feet. This is powerful stuff. That's why the ascension and all of the truths around the ascension are so vital for us as the living church today that we hold all these things in proper revelation and understanding. Yeah. Okay. Not only that, but the ascension, he gave his, his dudes some instructions. There were 500 of them book of Corinthians tells us when he went up and the guys were absolutely flummoxed because they hadn't been to the movies and they hadn't seen this this especially effects hadn't they didn't know that and so 
And then two guys dressed in white said, dudes, what are you doing here? Remember what he said. Now go back to Jerusalem and wait and you will be empowered. You will be clothed with power and then you'll be my witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. But you're doing it now in and with and through Holy Spirit. And so then we remember that Pentecost, because Jesus had sat down at the right hand of the Father, right hand, the place of favor and honor, didn't sit at the left hand, he sat at the right hand, and he received from the Father the promise, the gift of the Spirit. And so Peter says, hey guys, we're not drunk with wine. These are not drunk as you suppose. Yeah, you suppose that they're drunk from wine? Listen, Shabins haven't opened yet. It's only nine in the morning. Okay, they look drunk, but it's not with alcohol. They have been, they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They're walking under the influence. We're called to walk under the influence. Come on, think it through now. They were demonstrating a prototype experience for the church as it getting birthed. That's why we said happy birthday. As the church is being born, being established, birthed, and is doing so in and through the power of the Spirit, and it overwhelms their senses, and they're kind of like, they're all euphoric, and, and in all of this, they receive the gift of the Spirit. These guys are on fire. Literally. Flames on their heads. Dude, have you seen your hair? Man, your hair's on fire. It's kind of like, yeah, what about you? And they're kind of, and like, oh, dang, I left my cell phone. I can't do a selfie. Okay, no cell phones, but. And they got, they're on fire. And Peter stands up. The guy who was so chicken because of the rooster. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And a little servant girl, and remember in the pecking order of things, right? Structure, class, society, this one who is like treated as dirt, a nothing and a nobody, a servant girl, is enough to cause him to wobble. Come on, it shows you how weak he was. And now he's standing up and he's speaking. And some of the guys he's speaking to on the day of Pentecost were the same ones who were in the crowd. Crucify! 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 Give us Barabbas! Yay, Barabbas! Crucify! The same ones that would have been after his blood. Now he's talking to them. He says, guys, on your hands, you put to death the Son of God. You've got to be on fire to confront the very ones 
who were calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the power of the Spirit. Yeah? So when we think back to Pentecost and the feast and everything that was there, there was a shadow revealed to us through the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. But that's, that's giving us the outline. But this is filled in in the substance in the new. And so all of the, the patterns that come from the Old Covenant give us context for what God was wanting to do in and through the repurposing, if you like, of Pentecost. And it was went into a whole new thing and a whole understanding and a revelation as members of the new covenant for us. Pentecost goes from, hey, a great celebration because of the harvest and the giving of the law. It now, talk about an upgrade, is massive. And it's way more than just shanda shanda re karaba sokorobo. A lot of Christians, charismatics, reduce Pentecost to just, oh, tongues. No, Pentecost was way more than being able to speak in tongues when you're looking for a parking lot. It's so that we might live in a completely new and other way. The way of the Spirit. It's a new and a living way in and through Jesus because what he's done for us. John, the baptizer, he wasn't a Baptist because they hadn't formed that grouping yet. He was a baptizer. Yeah? To baptize, the Greek word, baptizo, is to take something and dunk it in the water. To steep it like you take your Omar's rusk. And you soak it, steep it in your coffee. And you pull it out and the coffee and the rusk are one. Your rusk has been baptized. That's, that's the Greek. It's, it's the Titanic. The Titanic got baptized. Immersed, submerged. It's, it's your, your, your clothing that's got all this beautiful color. It was whatever neutral color and went into the vat of dye and got so impacted, influenced, changed with the dye. You pull it out and it's never the same again. That's baptizo. And John, John says, I baptize in and with water, but there's one coming greater than I. I'm not even worthy to undo the thongs of his sandals. And when he comes, he will baptize you in and with the Spirit 
and with fire. John was prophesying, this is right at the start of Jesus' ministry. And this happens three and a half years later than at Pentecost, exactly what John had prophesied. Boom, there it is. And we, as partakers of the new covenant, get to live in this. Oh, come on. This is way more than shandiriya, shandiriya, karabasoko. It's much more. Much, much more. All right? Okay. Now, what I want to do is I want to pull from Ascension and pull from Pentecost and begin to pull us a little bit towards this direction. And it all depends how much I interrupt myself this morning. But I want to pull us into, so what does it actually mean to actually have the Spirit with us, in us, on us, and through us? To be in the Spirit. Is that okay? Okay, because we're, if we're kind of dunked, man, it's like, is part of us dunked? Is it just my mind? Is it just my spirit? Is it my body? You know, what part of this, how does this impact our lives? All right? So, in order to tell you that, I need to tell you this. This might take a while. I'm just telling you where I told you the punchline so that at least you know when we get there. And the punchline might only even come next week, but it's okay. Hang in there. Or the week after. All right. One of the things that we, we don't always keep at the front of our minds when we read the scriptures, and particularly the New Testament, is this understanding of culture, of worldviews, of language. Right, And the guys who wrote the Bible, and I'm talking New Testament now, I mean, yes, the whole Bible, but we're just focusing New Testament because of from Pentecost on, okay? These guys were Hebrews, meaning that they grew up with a particular way of thinking, and they're speaking, their, 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 their forms of speech, uh, idioms, all these kinds of things were Hebraic. They were, they, were, they were formed, if you like, fashioned by their, their worldview, their culture, their language. But they wrote in Greek. Yes, a little bit of Aramaic thrown in, but it's mostly Greek. And there's a big difference between the Greek way of thinking and the Hebrew way of thinking. Why is this important for us? Well, we, when we come to the scriptures and we want to read the Greek, we adopt a Western Greek philosophy and mindset when it comes to interpreting the Greek. As though we were looking at Greek people writing to Greek people. But actually... They were Hebrew people writing in Greek to some Greek speakers, some Latin speakers, Romans, and some Hebrew people. But there was this language that was used for communication in those days, it was Greek. 
So in our day, you know, English seems to be the predominant language in the world. I say predominant because of the number of countries. The, the plenty Spanish-speaking people, you know, as a flick of the coin almost, I'm exaggerating. It was neck and neck between English and Spanish being the dominant language of the world. It was that close. Mm. And of course we know that you know, there's so many people um, that are speaking Chinese. And that is becoming a massive language of communication around the planet as well. Okay, so there are times and tides of men, and we've been through this a few times, and uh, I'm trying not to interrupt myself on that thread particularly this morning. Okay, so English was, uh, English is our sort of communication across nations, and even here in the room, we've got people from many different backgrounds and home languages, your mother tongue, but you're conversing in English so that we can understand each other. And I'm grateful for that. But this reflection of diversity is absolutely beautiful because it speaks prophetically one day around the throne, every tribe, every tongue. Oh my goodness, we're practicing. All right? And so we get to have some advanced practice and we're learning to understand each other and love each other, even though we've got some differences and so on. And we're looking for the redemptive aspect in each other's cultures. Because there's some God-given things in each of our cultures. Unfortunately, there are also some worldly things in our cultures. Right? So I'm just going to step on a few toes this morning. And just so we can see, you know, oh yeah, that's me. Or, ouch. I mean, what's a good time, you know, in the house of the Lord without a little ouch? Okay. So, these Hebrew guys writing in Greek were speaking and writing from a particular mindset. And you're going to see just now in terms of the understanding between spirit, soul, and body. And how do we interpret that? You see, if I have a Greek way of thinking, I'm going to interpret it one way. But if I have a Hebrew way of thinking, I'm going to interpret it another. And that's how we're going to see how this pulls together. It's going to help us to live. Got it? There's the punchline. But let's go back here. I mean, listen. We know in our own experience here that we've got different ways of understanding particular phrases. See, if I say the people of God, you know, we're, we're God's holy nation, a royal priesthood, we're the people of God. And some of us in the room would have one understanding. But in our history, in this nation, if we use those same phrases and we put it in a different language, we say, ons is die volk van die Heere. Ons is nasi. We're God's people, we're his nation. The connotation around that was we are God's chosen people group and he hasn't chosen the others. So his favor is on us and therefore we need to separate ourselves out from those who are not like us. 
And a whole system of apartheid was built on that kind of thinking. Same phrase, but completely different outcome. Right? Okay. How about another word? How about the word ancestor? Okay, now, for some, for some in the room, the word ancestor, we meaning people in our genetic line, great-great-grandparents and whatever, and the reason that I've got the ears I have is because you can see it's just like it's in the genetic line, you know, or they've got the nose, or I'm, I'm this height, or not that height, or whatever it might be. And we all look this round. Or we all look this skinny. Yeah. Yeah, maybe skinny's good, maybe skinny's bad, I don't know. Maybe round is good. You know, well-rounded personality. It's... And so we, we're saying more in the context of, for some people, hey, our forefathers, the people who lived before us and we're tied in some way genetically, all right, and things have, flow, have flowed through the genetic line, through, through the family line, so to speak. So they are our forefathers. And that's it, you know. Maybe I've got some, some of a, something of a natural inheritance. Maybe I've got some land. Maybe I've got some money. Uh, or maybe I've got nothing. But it's, flow, it, it's flowed down through a through family line. And so when we're talking about ancestors, we're saying, hey, the people who lived before us. But there are others in the room. When we talk about ancestors, they're talking about, you know what? The spirits of the departed. And these spirits float around and they watch what we're doing and they're involved in what's happening on the planet now. And I actually need to make sure that they are not unhappy with me. And so I need to do sacrifices, I need to do all sorts of things that will go well with me now, and also that one day when I die, I will also then be a spirit, and then I'll be sort of interacting with them, and so I need to make sure that when I get there, they welcome me, so I must sort them out now for the future. And so there's some people, when we use the word ancestor, that's what they mean. But that meaning that I've just described now is not anywhere close to a biblical understanding of the spirit world. Now, when we bring an understanding that comes from our culture, comes from our people, comes from a mindset, a mentality, and we bring that into our experience with the Lord, it can shape the way in which we think and the way in which we live, the way we interpret scripture. That's called syncretism. When you take stuff from your culture and you bring it into your spiritual walk. Now there's some things in our culture that are pretty neutral. You know, they just, God has blessed us with all kinds of things for life and you know, for our enjoyment. You know, think about Cook Sisters. You know, now some of you like Twisted Sisters because they're very sweet and some of you are kind of like, no, no, not for me. But it's a kind of like it's a neutral thing as long as you don't have too many of them and it's not going to affect your waistline. You know, so there are things in our culture that are, 
you know, that we just enjoy, and that's fine. But there's some things that come with a root. And when we embrace those things into our lives, we're actually drawing the root of that thing into our lives. And we're connecting, innocent as we may think it is, but there's a root that's tied to something. And if its root is not in Christ, it's rooted elsewhere. So we're either going to love the Lord our God and worship him correctly as he is revealed or else, you know, there were two trees in the garden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there are a lot of things in the world, the knowledge of good and evil. Some of it, it can be helpful, useful, good knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's why even people without God can do some pretty good things, pretty amazing things. Firstly, they're made in his image, but there's also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's still at work. Right? But when we are delving into things that have got the fingerprints of the prince of darkness on, now we're getting into trouble. Are you tracking with me so far? So, if I bring a mentality that says, because we are a particular people group, we are elite, and others are not, that is division, separation, and we know the thief is the one who wants to steal, kill, destroy, and bring division. So the fingerprints of the enemy on that philosophy. So it's not a godly philosophy. Unfortunately, there were people who brought that mentality, found some scriptures to uphold that cultural mentality, and we had a thing called apartheid. And we know that that's divisive and even demonic because we're supposed to be united. We are supposed to be the rainbow nation. Yeah? Not the, I mean, these people have stolen God's symbol and they're using it for all the wrong stuff. But God had it first. Okay? Enough said. So, hey, we need to ensure that we are not bringing the separateness or elitism. One people group are better than another people group and we're bringing that into our spiritual walk. You got me? Just like, hey, the spirits of the dead, what does the Bible say? The spirit... Say, the, the Bible says, when you die, your spirit doesn't hang around on the planet. So if you think you're talking to a spirit, you're not. Because the Bible says they are not here. So who are you talking to? You're talking to a familiar spirit. It's a demonic spirit. It's not your grandfather. He's not appearing to you in your dreams. It's a demon. Pretending to be your grandpa. And because it's a familiar spirit, they know they're familiar with the family. Because they've been around all this time since the fall. 
So they know what your great-grandfather did and what he liked to eat and what he sounded like, and they mimic it. And you think you're talking to grandpa or he's appearing to you in your dreams. He is not. It's a demon. Hmm. And so that cannot come into Christianity. When we do that, as I mentioned, it's syncretism. We're taking things of this world, different philosophies, and we're trying to combine it with our Christian walk. No, it's trying to blend light and dark. And the largest spiritual grouping in this nation do exactly that. And they think they're doing the right thing, but they're not. And so there's a measure of deception. Millions of people will go and gather on the Easter long weekend and think they're doing right, not knowing that they're actually tied into some demonic stuff. Okay? Now, now listen, some of you in the room are kind of like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Some of you kind of like, yeah, I dealt with that long ago. I paid a big price. I was rejected by the clan because I wouldn't do this and this and this ritual, which is based on appeasing the ancestors. So many of you have paid the price. You know, I'm not going to go to the bush and I'm not going to get circumcised. Why? Because the shedding of blood makes a covenant. I'm making a covenant with the dark side. I'm not going to do that. Circumcision is a lot more than just cutting off a little bit of skin. Painful as that may be. It's making a compact, a covenant with the demonic world. And Christians don't go through that. And if you have, there's going to need to be a renouncing. I said to Daryl this morning, I smelt something really foul in the atmosphere. It's kind of like, okay, I know what I'm up against this morning. It wasn't somebody in the natural releasing an odor. Because others around me weren't smelling it. No, it was something in the spiritual because of what, I'm, what we're confronting here. Okay? So, this is not about condemnation. And this is not about accusation. This is about revelation. You see, only when light comes can you kind of, something gets exposed. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Alright? So, when light comes, it's kind of like, oh, Okay. So the Bible doesn't say that. Okay, then I won't do that anymore. That's all it is. Okay? So we've got some in the room who are kind of like, I dealt with that ages ago. We've got other people in the room sitting here right now, it's kind of like, I've never heard that before. I don't think I believe you. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to shine light in your heart and to speak to you and bring you to a place of understanding on these things. Yeah? There's some people in the room kind of like, yeah, John, I wish you would have told him that sooner. And you're sitting in a place of, hey, I've got everything sorted out. Just before we, uh, well, let's just take a few pegs out from that one quickly, can we? All right. So, some of you, and, it's, and, and, and I think it's, it's just out of, you know what, we think this is the right thing to do, but we didn't understand there was a root tied to it. 
So we have a wonderful time on Resurrection Sunday morning, and we have all these beautiful eggs. And we have a little treasure hunt for the kids, and they go and find these little eggs. Listen, I love chocolate. You know, you can shape it any which way, I don't mind. You know, because chocolate is great. But when you are associating an Easter egg with Easter, you're tying a root with your action to a pagan religion. And so that pagan religion, 3,000 years old, it's Babylonian in its nature, and the queen of heaven Ishtar wanted to celebrate the resurrection of her son, Thomas. He hid in a cave for a while. I don't know how many days, if it was 10 days or whatever it was, can't remember. And then suddenly brought him out. Look, he's resurrected. It was a sham thing, but it was part of Babylonian religion. And to celebrate that he had been born, had, had come alive again, they would take eggs and paint them and then give them to each other as a gift, as a celebration of this event. Easter eggs, Ustra eggs. So if you want to eat a marshmallow egg or a chocolate egg any other day of the year but not Resurrection Sunday, and don't give it to your kids and say, this is for Easter, because you're passing on a false religious tie into their understanding. Find me one scripture that speaks about the early church celebrating with Easter eggs. Find me one scripture. Not there. And I love raisin buns. You know, I love them with a bit of cinnamon, toasted, you know, with a letter T on the top. For Thomas. You see, pagan worship again with, with Ustra, they would make these raisin buns and put the letter T. The letter T for us looks like a cross, but that was the letter T. Hot cross. So listen, eat them any other day or any other week of the year, but rather don't do it on that weekend. So that we are not tying it in any way to some pagan religion. See, Paul, he said to the people, listen guys, about food that's supposedly been dedicated or sacrificed to idols. Listen, if your conscience is strong enough, you know, sanctify the thing, pray a blessing over it and eat it. You know, I bless this raisin bun in Jesus' name. Mm, it's lovely. <laughs> but if you're going to cause your brother to stumble, then rather don't do it. Yeah? And so let's not syncretize, let's not bring into our Christianity pagan worship. Yeah? yeah? And for goodness sake, man, when it gets really hot here, in December, we miss these things because we're here down south, southern hemisphere. You know, on the 25th of December, it is hot. What on earth are you running around in funny warm suits with snow and reindeer on the 25th of December? 
kind of get a grip, man. Yeah. No, look. But on the 25th of December, which is just a couple of days from the mid-winter solstice, and the pagan religions of Northern Europe would dance around the evergreen tree, which was a symbol of everlasting life. And the pagans worshipped at the green tree in the middle of December. Please, I beg you, do not put a pagan worship symbol in your house in December and put presents underneath and say, this has got something to do with the birth of Jesus. It has got absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. And it's got a root tied into pagan worship. Oof. Oh my goodness, my toes are going numb. He's standing on them so hard. Come on, we're in this together. We're in this together. All of us in our cultures, we've got things that are good, that are redemptive. Things that God has woven and given to us as a gift to the world. How on earth are we going to come before his throne? You know, we'll get to talking about end times and the new heaven and the new earth. And it talks about the people and the kings of this earth bringing their glory and giving it to him. What's that going to look like? I don't know fully, but I think one of the things is that out of our culture, the God aspect of our cultures, our different language groups, the way in which we dress, the way in which we dance, the way in which we do poetry and we make music, it's his fingerprint on us. And he delights in it and we bring it to him and we give it to him as worship and it glorifies him. We give him glory. And so there are things in our culture that are God-given and it's good and it's right. Yay, celebrate. But where we can see the enemy's fingerprints on our culture and the kinds of things we do, it's time for us to remove those fingerprints. Does it make sense? Okay. Now, remember I said I was going to tell you a story to tell you this, and now I'm coming back to this. Okay. You see, the writers of the New Testament were Hebrews, but they were writing in Greek. Yes, I know the Romans were the dominant nation at the time, and obviously Latin. But Greek philosophy had so impacted and influenced the world at that time. In fact, it still influences us today. And our education system is based on that kind of thought and philosophy. Mm. And so the Hebrew guys grew up with a Hebrew mindset, understanding and perspective on life but they were communicating in the language of the day that was passed around the known world 
in Greek until Latin then began to surpass that. And the Greek way of thinking was different from the Hebrew way of thinking. If I go and study the scriptures and I'm learning Greek from a Greek mindset, I'm going to miss what these Hebrews, who were just using it as a language of communication, were actually trying to say. So let's first deal with the Greek thing and then we can come to the Hebrew and then we can go home. And come back next week, hopefully, or the week after. Please. You see, the Greek mindset and mentality was that the earth is bad. It's wicked, sinful, to be avoided. So we're talking back to Socrates and Plato and these guys. And you had to escape the terrible state of the planet and one day you would be freed from this body you would leave the body behind you would be freed from it and then you would be come to this place of union nirvana right there would be almost this utopia and there'd be oneness connectedness with the universe right one with the universe This is Greek philosophy. You think this is all new age stuff. No, it's old age, man. Just put a new dress on it, put a lipstick, but it's same philosophy. Okay? Now, I mean, immediately you know, hey, when we take this kind of thinking into Christianity, and particularly with regards to end times, the world is bad. Jesus, come and save me, and I must escape from this and come to a place of oneness. Let's call it heaven, because we're Christians. Where's the escape button that I can get out of here? Because this is wicked and terrible, and only when I become united with him will it be a great place to be. That comes from Greek philosophy, and it's contra to actually what the Bible teaches. Even though a lot of Christians want to preach that, it's probably the most popular view of the end times. You go to the bookstores, that's where you're going to get. Turn on Christian TV, that's where you're going to get. But prior to about 1860, the church didn't know anything about that. Was not even anywhere on the church's radar. They're drawing from, from Greek philosophy, we actually must escape whatever is hard, difficult, terrible. Let's get out of here. Jesus said the exact opposite. Pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, which the, where's the direction, where's the flow? The flow is heaven to earth, not earth escape to heaven. You're tracking. Okay, so some of you are kind of, whoa, no, I never heard, oh, okay. Gosh, we're all in the washing machine this morning, aren't we? So this, this Greek thinking, it played out in a whole bunch of ways because the Bible writers, whether it was to Corinth, whether it was John's letters, whether it was to the Thessalonians, or, or bunches of them, 
Gnosticism crept in, which is this part of anchored into this Greek philosophy that we separate the body from the spirit. Okay, clue, that's where we're heading. That's the destination, the spirit. I'll take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Okay, but if I have a Greek mindset, what is the spirit that he's giving? Is it just an add-on, chandelier, chandelier? Or is it baptizo? Do you understand? I'm trying to draw, I'm, I know I'm drawing it out, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to put a strong foundation here that we might know that the outpouring of the spirit was for so much more than tongues. You see, if, if in the Greek mindset, the earth is bad, and because your body is on earth, and he's touching earth all the time, your body you leave behind, but your spirit and your soul, that's going to escape and be with him. Then the Gnostic guys also crept in and perverted the early church to some degree, which is why the writings had to correct them and say, listen, man, you know, don't get confused about these things. Why? Some of the guys, they thought, look, if my body is going to die, what I do in the body actually doesn't matter. In other words, I can have a big sin up. And it doesn't matter because sin, I'm just sinning with my body. It's not my spirit. My spirit is separate, Greek thinking, from the body. So listen, sleep around. Hey, hang around with the prostitutes. This is all good. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So whatever I do with the flesh and the body doesn't matter. So you can sin as much as you like. Don't worry, grace abounds. It'll cover all of that. Wrong, wrong, wrong. But that's what a lot of the church was getting into because of this influence of Greek philosophy. On the other hand, You had the other bunch of people based out of the same philosophy. Oh, you know what? This earth is so bad, I mustn't enjoy anything. So do not enjoy anything on the earth. So now we give up everything. Don't enjoy your food. Don't enjoy your drink. Take no pleasure in anything. In fact, the less I have, the more holy I am. Because it shows that I'm actually separate. I'm holy. Come out of that dark, stinking, terrible place. And so you had people on the other side embracing poverty and thinking that was more holy. Beat yourself. Sleep on a bed of nails. Literally they would do it. Give everything. Have nothing. No no expansion. No growth. None of that. That stuff, everything is just like you baptized in lemon juice so that you can prove to everybody how holy you are. Um, Come to Jesus. You can be as miserable as I am. Let's all be miserable together. And it's amazing. That kind of philosophy, it brought all the way through into some churches today. It's like, for goodness sake, don't laugh in church. It must be the devil if you're laughing. And they didn't see that the fruit of the Spirit is love and? Oh my goodness, joy is right there near the top of the list. 
And they can't see it because they've been infected by this philosophy. And they pull it through. It's pagan stuff and it's Greek philosophy. Compartmentalize, separate out. We separate out the body from the emotions and the mind, the will, and we separate from the spirit. Compartmentalized thinking, Greek thinking. And so we read some scriptures. Better read you at least one scripture before. First Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5 verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read this in Greek and we think, yeah, you see, separate out body, soul, and spirit. You see, there it is. But they weren't Greek guys writing. They were Hebrew guys writing. So how would they have thought? I'm glad you asked. Please, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now Moses, Moses giving everybody the instructions, and this is how we're going to do it, people. All right? Deuteronomy 6. Now, these are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. You may be miserable and have a short life. You may enjoy long life. Oh my goodness, enjoy Like it's in the Bible. Enjoy life. Oh, you mean like I'm not allowed to enjoy anything is actually the opposite of what God wants us to do? Yes. Some of us have to undergo a change of thinking. The Bible calls that repentance. Change the way you think. Come into alignment with what God is saying. Verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and money, just as the Lord... (laughs) Just as the Lord, the God of your... Oh, how are we going to use that word? We can use that word more like forefathers now. See, some of our Bibles, we use the, the Bible app. And they keep doing updates all the time. And depending on how words used in different parts of the world, they keep updating. Yeah? So my, my NIV, which is nearly infallible version, is I think from about 1973. And... It translates some of the the scriptures and say, dear brothers, I write to you for this and this. But if I go to the app now, it says, dear brothers and sisters. So what changed? Well, just an understanding of culture and what translates better. Mm -hmm. There are some versions that actually should not even be there. Yeah? Now, God is not in any way confused about his identity. He's not mother God. So you know for sure that that translation you can burn. 
true, okay? So there's some people with an agenda that actually is not there in the original languages, okay? So my older paper printed Bible says forefathers, but the app says ancestors. But let's understand what we mean by this word ancestors. We're talking about people in our family line who lived before us. We're not talking about so-called spirits floating around. Got it? Okay. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That was phenomenal. In, in a world of pantheistic gods, that he was one God, that was revolutionary. Yeah? Verse five, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today, oh, we're running out of time here. To be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk to them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Can I have a few extra minutes? Would that be all right? If anybody needs to leave, please um, feel free to leave. But if I can just close this thing and then next time we can start at a, at a, diff, you know, a better point. Not a better point, but you know. So this thing of tie these things to your forehead, tie them to your, your arm, your hand. And, and in Jewish culture, they actually would take a piece of, the, of, the, of this, the, the Torah and they would write it on a tiny little scroll, roll it up, put it in a little, little box, would be a leather box, and they would have these straps tied to their arm or tied to their forehead. And you'll see some of these guys say at the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, that they're dressed like this. It's called a phylactery. Remember Jesus said, hey, some of you guys, you're trying to look that you're so religious because you make all of these things really huge. Guys, so the intention was, listen, have this thing so imprinted on your forehead, on your mind, that it controls your thinking. And you think according to God's ways. And when you look down at your hand, as you're doing the work of your hands, you see God's ways. And you do, your business dealings are done with God's ways in mind. Everything that you do in life is with God's ways in mind. You're tying it to your ways and you're tying it to your thinking. And I'm... Um, write this on you. And when we understand that this is the origin, so then we get to the end of the book and it says, listen, chaps, the Father will write His name on your forehead. The Father will write His name on your forehead. It's the same kind of thing. You've been identified. Your thinking is impacting. It's He's impressed upon you. Your thoughts are so consumed with Father, you've been sealed in Him. And when we get this as the understanding that the Hebrew writers were writing this, you won't come up with some crazy notion when they would understand that clearly, because of the visions of Daniel, that a beast represented the worldly systems, the systems of this world. We're not looking for a human, we're looking for a system of this world that will rise up and will want to mark us with its way of thinking and its way of doing things. 
And if you have a Hebrew understanding, you wouldn't come anywhere close to this thing of, oh, they're going to tattoo something on my forehead or they're going to put a chip under my hand here. You wouldn't even come near that conclusion because that's not what the writers had in mind. And if you've been stamped and marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit and Father's name, what on earth are you worried about some other kind of mark that means nothing because the king of all kings has already stamped and sealed you? Listen, man, if there's anything that has the fingerprints of the enemy on it, you know it's not right. And the fingerprint of this thing is, you can smell fear. And if there's a theology that puts fear on God's people, it's not an accurate theology. It doesn't pass the sniff test. It's kind of like, I smell something off here. It's rotten. Mm. Come on, man. Yay. We're going to get next time. Maybe. Hopefully. But this thing of, I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll put a heart of flesh in you and I will write on your heart. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. That's where we're headed. It's the same connotation with write the thing on your forehead and write it on your hand. It's the same connotation. He's not saying, chaps, take out your tattoo pens and put the Ten Commandments on your skin. That's not what it means. And it certainly doesn't mean that, you know, Bill Gates is going to put a chip under you. Yes, I know the Bible says, oh, you ancient gates, but it's not Bill. (laughs) All right. Love the Lord your God, verse 5. Okay, this is actually where we're supposed to be as we close for my fifth closing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These Hebrew chaps, the New Testament writers, although they were writing in Greek, they were thinking in Hebrew. And the Hebrew understanding is that you love the Lord your God with all of you. You cut a slice of bread, You take it, it is beautiful. It's like, can you smell the salt? Can you smell the oil? Can you smell the flour? Can you smell the water? Can you smell if there were eggs in there? you, You can't smell the ingredients. You just smell, this is bread. It's a whole. It's the ingredients. Like the whole thing is, all those ingredients, whole, it's bread. Hebrew thinking, all these ingredients, it's a whole, it's you. The Greek wants to chop it up, spirit, soul, body. Hebrew, listen, with all these ingredients, with everything that you have, all mixed together, and you can't actually pull it out, it's like trying to extract the dye from your clothing. It's trying to get the coffee out the rusk after you've lifted it out. And so you, you're loving the, the Lord your God with everything, all, like whatever you can think of about you, it's his, including your wallet. Because your wallet is just an extension of you. 
Your time, your energy, your, your, your sweat, your tears, all these things are reflected as we translate that into something that's tangible. It's called M-O-N-E-Y. But that's you. That, in a sense, is representing. And so you bring that as an offering. As Lord, I'm bringing me. I worked hard for this. And my efforts I'm giving to you as a fragrant offering because you're worthy of it all. Yeah? Not like that cartoon where the guy got baptized, took out his wallet, held it above the water. Lord, everything that goes under the water is yours, but he made sure the wallet was up. No, none of that stuff. Okay. Hebrew thinking. So, I take out the heart of stone put in a heart of flesh, I put my spirit within you and cause you, move you to follow and do my ways, my decrees. First Pentecost gave the law. The second Pentecost gave the spirit. The first Pentecost was external and rules. The second Pentecost was internal and and his rule, his reign. That's where we're going next time. The whole thing with the spirit is much more than goosebumps and speaking in tongues. That we can live under his reign and his rule and the spirit. Oh, oh. That's why you don't need somebody to tell you what to do because the spirit inside, it's not. You see, the, the old was somebody from the outside externally trying to modify your behavior, but your heart rotten. You've cleaned the outside of the teacup, but inside it's rotten. You're like a, like a tomb that's beautifully painted white on the outside, but inside, hmm, stinks. Bones and rotting flesh. But in the new covenant, with the Spirit, oh, He's leading, He's guiding. We're going to get into some practical things about how to walk and live in the Spirit. But it's important that we, we distinguish between the Hebrew thinking and the Greek thinking. Otherwise, we won't understand that this baptism principle is actually what He has in mind when we're walking in the Spirit. Because we're completely immersed. We're under the influence, we're pickled in him. Thank you for the extra time, I really appreciate it. Let's, let's stand, let's pray. Holy Spirit, you who inspired the disciples, the apostles, the New Testament writers to record for us revelation about who you are and how you're working in our lives and through our lives. And what you came to do and what you're wanting to do as we move forward. Lord, help us to live in the fullness of that more and more, bit by bit, as you're adding understanding and revelation Help us, Lord, to live in freedom because the Spirit came to give us freedom. 
Help us to live in greater measure of freedom. Lord, I'm asking that for each one of us, we would be refreshed and renewed in the spirit again. Cause us to experience that being filled up again to overflowing, that we would live in perpetual Pentecost all the days of our lives. And now, Lord, I'm asking for your hand to be upon each one of us in the family, your hand of peace, your hand of protection, your hand of provision, that we might know and experience you more and more each and every day. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen. Bless you.